0: Good evening, good day, I don't know when you're listening to this, but hello, welcome to the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program. We are recording live from over the internet. My name is Mattio, and I am joined by Gregory Colby, who is currently living in an ice cave in Boston.
1: Hey, the, the ice is uh, nice and warm over here. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very comfortable.
0: Glad to hear it. I hope the Red Cross can get to you soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we are also joined by Emily Good, who is a USA Cycling official and is joining us uh, also here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hello, Emily.
2: Hi, and I'm. While I'm freezing in Minneapolis, I'm happy that I'm not buried under 80 inches of snow.
0: <laughs> Me too. This is one of the rare situations when we get to. Uh, listen to other people complain about the weather yeah, I guess kind of, kind it's of so bad
1: I actually just got <laughs> I actually just got a, a, a tweet from my uh f- friend uh Lydia uh another local bike racer around here saying hi WHBP this week you should cover how to combat seasonal affective disorder while suffering on a trainer so we're all <laughs> we're all hurting over here
0: but Lydia, I can answer that question quite quickly because I keep a happy lamp next to my trainer.
1: That's that's actually, I think I've heard you talking about this before, and it's a good idea. It's a good idea. So, so Lydia, sun lamp. <laughs> sun lamp. That's what you're going to do. Uh, yeah. And that'll make your life a lot better. All right. So did you have so, uh, uh, an intro or, or some way to roll into this,
0: Mario? I do. Yeah. So I was thinking, uh, well, I'm, I'm very excited. For this show and to have Emily on it. Um, this is sort of our uh, ask an official show and you know about a month ago we covered the cyclocross nationals debacle I think is a fairly reasonable way to put it um, and in, in particular there was the, the fact that uh, the junior girls field got really short shrift by uh, by virtue of the rescheduling and field combining and all of this and my attitude was that i i i generally think that officials have a job to do i i don't entirely understand what it is but i assume that they're um that they have concerns that they're trying to be uh good at their job and fair to racers and work within their concerns and that maybe their concerns are a little bit different than my concerns and this and that i don't entirely know what they are but you know The officials are doing their job um of course my attitude about the cyclocross nationals was that uh this was a particularly sort of high stakes big stage and obviously there was a problem um but it also occurred to me that while i respect the fact that officials have a job to do i don't entirely know what that job is as a bike racer i am very accustomed to being at a starting line and an official gives us a lecture about um, what the race is, and not to be jerks to each other, and then we race bikes, and then a little while later, there's a PDF with, uh, a list of people who race bikes, and the order in which they race bikes, um, and everything else that happens behind it, um, is a bit of a mystery to me, so, uh, for starters, Emily, again, welcome to the show, um, we're going to get into a bunch of questions that I have for you as an official. And uh, the biggest one is, why are you an official? And And tell us about, uh, you know, a bike race from behind the, the khaki pants and the blue collared shirt. What is it like uh, to officiate?
2: Yeah, well, so I will say, first of all, I am definitely not an official for the money. Um, So if anybody was considering, you know, that racing wasn't paying as much as they thought it would, so they thought they'd become an official, I will um, discourage you from that career change. (laughs) Um, My day job, I'm actually a lawyer, um, but I'm a lawyer at a nonprofit. I do human rights and immigration work. So, you know, the pay wasn't also like a huge incentive on that side either, (laughs) Um, but, you know, Nor, I should say, were the khaki pants and the blue shirt, which is just really not like the greatest uniform (laughs) choice in the world. But um, no, and I decided to become an official because I actually, oddly, I enjoyed being at bike races like I had helped promote and I'd, you know, done like neutral water and course marshalling and um, all kinds of other stuff at some of our local races. And I was like chicken. I was too chicken to race. And I was like, oh, I could become an official. And then I'd, like, be at races and I'd be a part of it. And that'd be really cool. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, so, yeah. And then when you start learning about officials, they tell you, like, our job basically is to make sure that it's safe, that the race is fair. And then, you know, that, like, everyone has a good time, basically. Dude. But that's really our, like, fun is our third priority. Um, yeah. Safe so is, is and is fair gonna... kind of the first two. And so
1: go ahead no go keep going keep going no i was going to ask if that was the the order but you already answered that so
2: (laughs) yeah and you know safety um is probably like the least fun um but most important and like the most stressful part of the job because you sometimes do have to look at things and make a decision about you know is this course you know when you show up in the morning at a race like Usually the course has been vetted ahead of times, but sometimes you get there and you're driving or walking the course and you're like, I think that spot or that turn is just going to be a problem. Um, and so we need to change the course the morning of, which um, tends, depending on who the writer is, um, tends to not make you popular.
0: So what, uh, in your experience, what kind of things jump out at you as, as being unsafe parts of a course?
2: Well, the, there were two examples of races I was worked this past year. And one of them was a crit over at the University of Minnesota campus. Um, it was a new course this year. And looking at it on the map, we sort of thought going in that it might be a problem. But there was an exit from a turn that was, it was too narrow to begin with. And then it was basically a hairpin into the next, I mean, it was pretty much a hairpin turn. And it was narrow. And then the forecast for that day, which ended up coming true, was basically for um, torrential downpour and like 20 mile an hour winds. And so <laughs> whereas maybe it would have been OK on a dry, sunny day, it was definitely, you know, it was not OK. So we just had to take that out, which meant, though, taking a section of the course out, which meant that the course ended up being, um, I think, four tenths of a mile long (laughs) i mean it was just like nuts
0: it's on the slim side
2: yeah it was um and we were also we didn't have a timing company so we were literally like trying to do results on like two minute laps in a downpour it was kind of just a train wreck of a race all around um but that's an example of you know having to change the course for safety and also i think we ended up cutting um One of the races short, too, just because of the winds and the rain um, and people were just freezing.
0: Yeah, I remember getting a call from my teammate after that race. Um, He was shivering in a van somewhere with the heater on high heat. And he was saying, I think I have hypothermia. This is I'm in a real I'm in a situation. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. Like, are there people around? Are they taking care of you? And he goes, yeah, I won the race. (laughs)
2: yeah and i mean the thing that they say (laughs) yeah the thing they say for us too as officials is like you know riders want to race um they want to go and sometimes when you're in that moment like you're not able to make a sensible decision about like huh should i be racing in 40 degrees and rain or like as we've had at state cross should i be racing for 60 minutes in like negative two, um, our job is to kind of like be the judgment because we don't necessarily have a stake in it. I mean, we do, but it's not like whether I get a jersey or not. It's just like, is this safe or not?
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me because I I think I know that a lot of people kind of, uh, they abdicate certain decision-making, especially when, you know, they're, they're gunning for something or they have a goal in mind or they think like, oh, I suppose this could be dangerous for someone else, not really for me. You know, kind of the same psychology that uh, that makes people speed when they drive cars. It's like, oh, I mean, like, sure, it's unsafe, but for bad drivers. Um, so or or, having or driving officials in there the
1: snow, to... that's kind of relevant.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Because people in Minnesota are ironically terrible at driving in the snow. Well, bike racers <laughs> as a
1: rule, or at least um, <laughs> certainly – certainly male bike racers uh all pretty much believe that they are awesome (laughs) i mean why else would you be out there (laughs) racing bikes unless you thought that you were completely awesome but not everyone (laughs) who's racing bikes is totally awesome so it's probably good to have someone who can kind of be a uh, a check on the unmitigated uh ego and (laughs) self-involvement of us pinhead bike racers
0: and kind of taking the population view. That makes sense to me, you know? Like, okay, one person might think that this is safe for him or for her, and so might another. But like, really, if we have you know, 200 people here doing this, there's gonna be a problem, eventually, for somebody. Yeah. So I guess I- Yeah, and we really,
2: I mean, we have to fill out incident reports, and we hate that, so, you know.
1: Yeah, so I I guess I would actually ask on that note, are there, when it comes to safety, to what extent is it following sort of like guidelines that are set down in the rules or in the official's handbook? And, and to what extent is it sort of going with your gut? Like is it equal parts or are are there not a lot of hard and fast rules? Um, you know, or are there a lot of hard and fast rules? Like what what's the balance there?
2: Um, I would say it's, there's a few things that are set down in the rule book, but a lot of it is sort of following your gut. Um, lightning is the one like hard and fast rule. If there is lightning, we have to call the race. It doesn't really matter like where where people are at on the course or anything else. Once you have lightning, you're done, um, which I think can cause all kinds of problems when you live in places where summer thunderstorms are not an unusual occurrence. Um, <laughs> and then beyond that though it really is um just looking at you know what what does it mean in this situation and for this field you know generally i think using the example of juniors what's safe for juniors is different than what might be safe for one two three field um and so there is that consideration too but i'll give you an example too of how this plays out we had um At a road race this summer, we had a really unfortunate situation where in the, um, I think it was the Cat Fives, there were three riders who crashed within 500 meters of the finish line. And this being Minnesota, our road races, like a lot of places, are all on these, like, county roads um, that are not close to traffic. And so the three riders went down basically on top of the center line into oncoming traffic. There was nobody coming, fortunately. But so we had to... Um, we had like four emergency vehicles on the scene and we were, you know, holding traffic. But then we had two other fields that we knew were going to be coming through behind those guys. And so we had to figure out, all right, like we need to ensure the safety of the riders on the road, um, like the guys who are down on the deck. We need to ensure the safety of the fields that are coming behind them. And then we also have, you know, emergency vehicle personnel on the road and they're trying to like direct traffic around their scene at the same time as we're going to have riders coming through and so we ended up basically having to neutralize an entire field at the end of um you know a 60 some mile road race which sucks for everybody um but that was the right call because we didn't the emergency vehicles ended up leaving right before or right as that field was coming through um and so there was just no way that we could be sure that they would be able to, you know, come through and sprint for a finish with four emergency vehicles sitting in the opposite lane.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That sounds, so the, the, the follow-up question that I have to that is, you've got a field rolling into the finish neutralized. Um, I, I have a lot of questions about that, and I guess the first one is, how are you scoring or is it are there basically no results is it like places 1 through 20 all get the same place <laughs> how do you deal with that
2: yeah and that was actually so that's a it's a really good example because it's not it, there is nothing oddly enough in the rule book that says should you need to neutralize in the last you know 500 yards of a race here's what you do um i was lucky i was the chief judge that day so i was responsible for figuring out results and it was part of an omnium and so whatever happened that day was going to impact what had happened the day before and what was happening the next day and fortunately i had a lot of more experienced officials on the road with me too so like we all chatted and said okay what makes sense um and i should add of course there was chaos because the first two people in that field had come through like way ahead of everyone else so they kept their placings um but it was basically the the pack, like, which was pretty much places three through 20, um, who were, had been verbally instructed by the motor ref on the road that their field was neutralized. Um, and so what we did is just give everybody essentially the same placing. And initially what we did is give them, <laughs> we did a lot of math to figure out omnium points. And so mm-hmm. we were like, okay, well, we'll just take the total omnium points that would have been awarded to points three through 20 and divide them and just everybody gets the same points. Um, But that ended up being the wrong outcome. Um, And so actually what happened is the next day we were talking with some of the riders and they were like, look, here's how that impacted the standings. And so I said, yeah, I'd be happy to take a look at that and see how it's different. If we give everybody from three through 20 third place points, um, which I think were 90 points. And so that's what we ended up doing because it, we actually ran both sets of numbers and looked at it and said well this does appear to be more fair overall um but yeah and there were plenty of people who were really um displeased with the neutralization who hadn't heard the motor ref or thought that somebody was still going and of course you know well i could have totally been higher if i would have known and it's <laughs> You know, (laughs) the usual stuff um, that you hear after a race.
1: If statement. Anyway.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So that's it was it was super tricky. But um, I will say I was happy. I was glad that people came up in a reasonable fashion and said, here's been the impact of how you guys scored this. And I think that's a problem because because I'm really happy to, like, talk with someone in a rational fashion about, you know, why they think there's a problem.
0: Yeah. And I assume that you're uh, less inclined to talk in a rational fashion with someone who comes up and is just like, oh, you were the one who made that call yesterday. Come on. Now I don't have a chance at winning 30 bucks and a ticket for a free ice cream in a water bottle.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I will say um, partially because my day job is working with um, mostly like people who've come to the U.S. seeking asylum, a lot of whom have had like really terrible experiences in the past. And so when some guy who can afford a racing bike and to be, you know, racing over the weekend comes up and is, you know, giving me that line about how he's blah, 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 I'm kind of like, I never say this. I just sort of smile and nod. Um, And say, wow, I really, I'm sorry, you're really upset. Um, But in my head, I'm like, seriously? Like, this is so (laughs) not a deal. Like, in the grand scheme of things, this does not matter. Like, get over yourself and, like, think globally.
0: (laughs) And you are totally exposed to things that just matter so much more. Well, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. so, but I I do try to be empathetic.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and that seems like, you know, I mean... When you're racing, of course, the red mist descends and it can seem much more important than than it really is. I, I think this might actually be a pretty good segue into the next thing on our list, which is sort of about how racers understand the job versus how officials understand the job, right? Does that seem like a, a good thing to, to yeah. move into? And I don't know, Maddie, should, yeah, we just, absolutely. should we talk briefly about sort of maybe what as... uh racers kind of how we imagine what officials are supposed to do
0: yeah i i spent a little while thinking about this and trying to think about like what the assumptions that i have are and the assumptions that i never really articulated to myself Mm -hmm. um and and emily like i hope this doesn't actually sound insulting because or it it may be but i think it should reflect much more on me than on officials but I realized that I had kind of thought of officials as, like, working a customer service type of position where, like, I'm the bike racer, uh, I'm the customer, this whole event is ultimately about me and people like me and our experience, like, and and it's uh, your job to make sure that that experience is... Um, predictable or reasonable or whatever it is I'm feeling in that moment and as I realized this or as I realized that that was like kind of the assumption that I had in the back of my head I realized that like that's kind of wrong that or that's pretty wrong because like I'm not your client um everybody is your client and also like the race promoter is is who you're accountable to in, in a way kind of different than How you're accountable to bike racers
1: well you know i hadn't even thought about the race promoter aspect of it i'll say that for me as you know being relatively naive about what the blue shirts are supposed to be doing um you know my kind of i've always thought of it basically as oh officials right they're the ones who make sure that the race is scored correctly and so they're supposed to make sure everything's you know all uh all the results are right and that everything proceeds safely and oh, also to make sure that everyone follows the rules and if someone doesn't follow the rules, then they receive appropriate punishment. Um, and, you know, some of that might be lumping various things together that are either not entirely the official's job or, or whatever, I don't know, but, but it's pretty easy to kind of f- – for me, I, I, I just – My default assumption is just, oh, yeah, the officials are doing pretty much everything involving scoring and rules, uh, and and that's pretty much it. And, yeah, I'd be curious to hear how that kind of lines up with reality.
2: Well, I will say that's actually, I mean, that's reasonably close is that, you know, we handle rules and results, and the one thing I will say is while I don't work for USA Cycling, I am an independent contractor, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are, you know, basically, we're kind of the only real representative of USA Cycling that is at any given event. We're the ones who actually have the logo on our shirts, which occasionally means, you know, that like, some neighbor who's ticked that there are bicyclists on their roads, like stops and yells at me and I just kind of smile and say, well, you know, the promoter got the permits. So, but, you know, they look at me and they're like, oh, you're wearing, you know, you look official. (laughs) And so that's who they attribute. Um, But, so the one thing I think, um, I mean, I think you generally got it. um, But, you know, one of the differences is that there's like two jobs that officials hold. Um, There are judges and there are referees. And one of the things that I see a lot of writers um I think most riders don't understand or really know that there's a distinction. Um and I don't know that I'd expect people to, but the referee is the person who is responsible for the really for enforcing the rules and who gives the speech to the fields at the beginning of each race. Um and then the judges are the ones who are responsible for results and who are standing at the finish line frantically writing numbers down on a clipboard. Um and while as a judge, I'm certainly happy to you know, hear your complaint or your frustration. Um, I can only make a decision about whether the results should stand or not. It's not my job to decide um, whether that guy crossed the center line, um, you know, back at mile. I don't even know, which is also really funny when I'm standing at the finish line of a road race and somebody comes by to yell at me (laughs) about like someone who had a center line violation. Cause I'm like, you know, that I've been standing here. And there's no way I would have seen that. Um, (laughs) But so I think that's one of the most common, you know, mispercept, like, I think people just don't know that we actually do different um, jobs out there. Um, And we are, though, because we sort of are the USA Cycling presence. I mean, while we don't de facto have a customer service role, um, we do need to kind of make sure that everything's going smoothly. And I definitely view my role as, you know, it's not to necessarily make sure everyone's happy, but it's definitely to make sure that if people are having problems that have to do with any of the things that I can control, um, that those are communicate That you know, those are dealt with, or if they're having a problem with a promoter, um, I can raise that to the promoter sometimes in a different way than um, maybe a racer can.
0: Well, the the issue about that that you mentioned things that are within your control, um, that's particularly interesting because I guess as a racer and as a racer who is, I don't know, I don't think I've like taken the officials for granted. I've just kind of not considered them too much, you know, like, like I said, like they give the lecture and then there's a PDF that appears three (laughs) hours later. And like, (laughs) what happens in between is is a mystery to me. Um, I don't entirely understand like what is and what is not within your control. So do you want to, it might be hard to ask you to elaborate on that without any example, but if you'd like to, that would be great.
2: Yeah, well, one thing that people um, always think is within my control is podiums and prizes. Those are not. Um, I mean, I determine or I'm part of determining, you know, who placed, um, like who's leading edge of which wheel cross the line first. But then a lot of people come up and they're like, so when's the podium and where's the podium? And like, what did I win? And I'm like, I honestly like I'd have to look at the flyer to tell you any of those things, um, because that's sort of the promoter responsibility or um, the other thing that both is and is not our responsibility. But the other thing we get a lot is somebody saying, Hey, like I'm showing up as a cat four, but I'm really a cat three. Or like, why am I registered here? Or my name's misspelled. And I'm like, well, that's all registration. A lot of which is actually usually your responsibility. So if you're somehow in the cat fours and you're actually a three, that might be registration's fault or it might be your fault um, <laughs> for showing up and racing in the wrong field. Mm. So um, that's, I think, the other one that is most common. Um, but, you know, if there are problems on the course, um, if there are um, concerns that, you know, another rider was being abusive or that somebody didn't hold their line during a sprint or that, um, you know, all sorts of rules and pretty much all of those um, belong to us and are our responsibility. And then anything to do with final placings. Um, The only sort of results thing that isn't always ours are um, if the promoter or announcer decides to do like a preem for a t-shirt or whatever, um, sometimes they'll just do that. And we aren't even really a part of it other than maybe confirming for them Yep, like, Mattia was the guy who crossed first and, you know, won the tie-dye shirt or whatever.
1: (laughs) The tie-dye, yes, the the tie-dye jersey. I'm so
0: proud of this. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I I guess when I... That's a terrific example.
1: (laughs) Mattia, have you won a tie-dye jersey in a a preem before? (laughs) no.
0: now i want to i i'm not sure i'm not sure what i want more to win a tie-dye shirt or to uh make one and offer it as a preem
1: you know what when we put on um when we decide to promote the working man's honest bicycle crit race uh we'll make sure that that's one of the the preems swish yeah that'll be great uh so yeah and i guess i i think of um I guess as an addendum to what I was thinking of the officials, that all makes sense to me. My, you know, my main, and I think the main interaction for a lot of riders, the kind of what they think of when they think of how the officials directly affect their race uh, is the motor refs, right? The, the person either you know, behind the field or in front of the field or calling out time splits or whatever, but you know, with the stripy shirt on the motorcycle uh, and, and who you know, tells you to go to the back of the field because you crossed the yellow line. You know, or who writes down your number, and and then you find out you're disqualified when you get to the end of the race, right? Uh, but I, I guess that's only you know, that of course, that's only one job, and and I I, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with that, but um, I I think that's where most people react. You know, they they think of kind of we think of sort of the results people, and then we think of the that um, hard ass official who who DQ'd us for going over the yellow line when it totally wasn't our fault. Come on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm really like, I'm, I love the motoref guys, but that's because if there's no motor refs, then we have to follow fields in our cars, which is just like awful. I mean, it's, like the worst job and it's also really hard to manage a field like what am i going to do drive up into the opposing lane like into oncoming traffic and yell at somebody (laughs) um i mean that's basically what we have to do if there's no motor refs and it's just not cool
0: yeah and i also assume it must be a drag like driving around at 22 miles an hour for three hours
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's um, it is when you're following a field you really Oh, yeah. No, you just like hope that somebody does something interesting because there is nothing worse than following like a field, which happens a lot in our races where people just are like, okay, well, let's all ride together for sixty one point five miles and then sprint the last point five. It's just like, (laughs) shoot me now.
1: That's boring, boring for everyone. Yeah. If you're if you're (laughs) listening, um, first of all, that's a stupid way to race your bike. Uh, and, and, you know, <laughs> don't do that well, unless
0: you're a sprinter.
1: Well, sure. But you know, most people who think they're but sprinters, screw that, aren't, right? <laughs> most people who think they're sprinters aren't, but that's another story. Uh, but, but also think of the poor, poor officials and, and follow vehicles who want to watch something interesting and, you know, give them a show, <laughs> even if you don't have anyone else by the side <laughs> of the road watching you, you know, <laughs>
0: It's it's rare as a bike racer I think that you can like you can really have an audience. I think so many of our races happen well removed from audiences. Yes. And I know that I'm totally spoiled by racing at the National Sports Center of Velodrome where, you know, on a good night there might be a couple hundred people in the bleachers mm. and it, it's awesome to perform for a crowd, but I, I don't think that most bike racers get that experience. Actually, this but brings can up. a you if yeah, you just you think can. that the officials are your audience, they're they're there for you.
1: Yeah, or if you show up to like one of the NCC crits, like you know, I got to do uh, uh, Sonny King and and anything with an announcer, like that, you know, mm-hmm. that that can be good. Um, the well, maybe not anything with an announcer, the, but actually, that <laughs> brings up a good question. I, I kind of wonder. Uh, this is not on our agenda, but. You know, is there any entertainment value sometimes to be, like, what's fun about it? Like, do you get to watch good bike racing sometimes? Like, is it, you know, f- like, is it fun to be a part of it? Like, how is that, how has that worked out for you in terms of, um, you know, being involved in racing without having to actually put your skin on the line?
2: You know, it's generally, um, I will say, most of the time it is pretty fun. Um, I mean, especially, like, the track here in Minnesota um is great because like I actually have where the officials are, if we're judging, we're on top of this little like awesome um tower in the middle of the infield. So we have, you know, probably the best view um of the whole place and it is really entertaining and you can watch things develop and shut down and that's really fun. And the other thing I like, especially about our track is that um like we have a lot of the same riders over and over again. And so like we get to know the riders as well and so we can tell if somebody's having a good night or a good season or if somebody maybe isn't um and that's really fun because it makes you feel more like you're a part of the community and i think that's a little bit true with cyclocross um as well cyclocross and crits are better to me as an official at the i mean and this is all low like lower level local stuff um i mean sure if you're working like really huge national road races where there's like multiple vehicles and there's a communications car and all of that that's really fun and exciting but that's like just not the reality from the races that yeah. we're working here um and so like time trials and road races are much less exciting because it basically tends to be standing um on a shoulder or in a ditch for an extended period of time um, <laughs> i can't even imagine i mean not time trials as exciting. Aren't even fun
0: to do so
1: <laughs> it's <like laughs> hard to imagine. A and time animal.
0: trialists aren't even fun to talk to. No.
1: <laughs> uh. so. <laughs> Sorry time trialists. We love you, but you're boring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Emily, I like your comment about like really, you know, in certain types of races, you really get to kind of feel a part of the community And one of the things I've enjoyed about racing in Minnesota is the fact that it is a small community, so I get to like see the same officials at road races and crits and track races and cross races and that I've gotten to know several, yourself included, and Leslie and Mulaney and Bruce and Mark, who, you know, I and maybe it was because, you know, uh I've done most of my bike racing for the five or so years that I've lived in Minnesota and I was only racing for, I don't know, two or three before I moved out here, so Most of my racing has been done here, but before I I didn't, I didn't really know who the officials were or, you know, there was just like a a sort of great gulf between the racers and officials. And here it is a little bit less, despite, you know, the fact that I sort of opened this program by talking about my ignorance uh, of your job.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, one of the nice things is when you do get to know the riders, Um, like it's funny because there's enough overlap like track is where i really get to know names and faces because it is a small group but then like cyclocross season by the end of the season i'm like okay especially in the one two three fields like i know probably three quarters of the racers i can like identify faces and names which is also just nice like in terms of being able to track a race so much more easily i think when you like know who it is in addition to like what the number of the writer is. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's always funny to me when people come up and they're like, "How did like so and so do?" And I'm like, "What's his number?" And they're like, "Oh, I don't know." And I'm like, "Well, then I don't know." <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. You're thinking sort of strictly in terms of the, the numbers that you're scribbling on your uh, clipboard. Well,
2: it's yeah, basically. It's, I mean, I funny. I like people. <laughs>
0: yeah but well, it is good it actually is really
1: great when you know even in really big um local associations like nebra where i am now um you know there's still it's a limited pool of officials uh so so given enough racing you know you do get to to know at least the chief officials um you know you might not like know know them you know uh but You get familiar with them and they probably get familiar with you, you know, or or the upgrade coordinator, you know, was in, in Tennessee was often at the race. We had a lot of the same officials in a lot of the races in Tennessee because, um, TIBRA is a very small, um, local association and yet actually I have to say one of the most together, uh, in the whole, well, okay. I've only, I've only raced in two local associations, so I I maybe should, uh, (laughs) slow my roll. Um, but (laughs) But it it really does, you know, it's nice to see, you know, kind of the same faces at a race who are judging you, because, you know, you get to know what to expect, and it's like, oh, this person is reasonable, and I like them and trust them, and, and they do a good job. So, and, and I think that, you know, that helps a lot in terms of uh, building, because, I don't know, you you two, you know, especially Emily can, can tell me what um, you think, but... You know it's funny because yeah the officials are not um necessarily on you know our side in terms of you know giving us the exact result uh that we want all the time um but (laughs) (laughs) but you know uh i I think that as you develop you know having some kind of uh level of of knowledge and, and rapport with the people who are Judging your race um, and and refereeing your race is valuable and it's it's good, you know. And and it, I think it also helps humanize, hopefully, uh, you know, the officials. Because uh, I think maybe I don't know, maybe the officials need humanization a little bit more than the racers do. Because we're we're freaking nuts. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, um, <laughs> and unreasonable. So. Yeah, I mean, I, and that matters, and, and it's good to, you know, to for example, you know, to, um, I guess to finish up this thought, you know, it, it's nice to be able to put in, say, like, an upgrade request, uh, and, you know, maybe that upgrade official has seen you race in the last three months, or whatever, and it's like, yeah, yeah, I've seen him, I know who it is, he's been going pretty good, um, yeah, he can have that upgrade. You know, instead of being like, "Dude, boy, you've just got the minimum number of points," and so on. I don't know.
0: I think that's a that's a really good example, yeah, of when it's particularly nice to have a close knit community of racers and officials. You know, I've I've talked to racers who express uh, confusion about upgrade guidelines because there's this kind of funny language about mandatory upgrades and so people oh, think this is that a like great
1: question yeah keep going
0: yeah, yeah so you know some people think like okay they're gonna get like third in their next race and it's gonna earn them whatever number of points and it's gonna put them above their mandatory upgrade threshold so like the next time they log into usa cycling there's gonna be some flashing red light that says you've been mandatorily upgraded <laughs> but 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 no system and no person is like is calculating upgrade points for you you know it's if you submit for an upgrade and you have this number of points then it is automatically granted whereas anything between the minimum and the mandatory number is like an official has discretion and i don't think i've ever heard of anybody getting denied an upgrade when they have uh above the minimum number of points but below the mandatory well of well points. i have
1: and i can and i i, I can uh, we can run this by by emily actually um uh, it is much mm. more common uh so usually what i've heard of people not getting the upgrade it has been junior racers uh mm-hmm. and it's also important to note actually as i understand it uh in the rule book uh there is a at least in some cases an asterisk that says essentially that that there is no mandatory upgrade for juniors um but it does happen i don't know emily have you ever heard of i mean i guess you don't do upgrades but have you have you heard of um well i I don't know i i I guess i'd like to cover your (laughs) yeah sorry go on i'm I'm not forming a very good question
2: (laughs) no um and i don't i haven't been responsible for upgrades but i know the people i mean well locally who have over time um and i i think i mean i think there can be differences between local associations sometimes based on kind of what you know philosophies are and who's doing it i mean just like anything else where there's discretion involved no you're adjudicator um which is advice from my other career as well (laughs) um but i think Like, with juniors, sometimes the concern is, you know, if you have a 12-year-old who's just killing it, but you might have real concerns about that 12-year-old if they're racing with threes and you know something about your threes field, um, I mean, I could see maybe being more hesitant in situations like that, again, where your concern is... For maybe the safety and the development of that rider um but my personal philosophy is that you know that's just like everything else like that's kind of the call of the parents and the coach and the junior rider um as to whether they think they can handle that or not
1: Hmm. yeah and it's easy you know yeah it's it's difficult to uh we might want to get off the junior rider tangent because it's it's sort of a different situation in so many ways uh than dealing with you know grown ass men and women uh <laughs> <laughs> it's it's sort of one of those truisms that you know uh whether fairly or not um you know juniors have this reputation of being kind of loose cannons uh pack handling wise and in you know and but there's also the, all these additional concerns that sort of might not actually overlap with the officials Needs one thing that I find interesting in general about both upgrading and different associations is that I have I have raced in a number of different associations and this is especially true when I lived in the South where you really have to travel for a lot of races. So um, I did most of my racing in Tennessee, but I also have raced in Georgia and I've raced in Alabama. And both the sort of the style of racing and and what you know my perception of the ability of the fields I was in um in and, and how the races were judged definitely varied significantly so I, I guess my main point in, in mentioning that is just to point out that how officials sort of what the culture of the officiating you know is or the culture of the field or whatever but basically your mileage may vary depending on where you are um, I just I mean my main example is I always hated racing in Alabama Um because I felt like no one in Alabama, (laughs) no offense Alabama, I'm I'm sure you're fine, I felt like no one in Alabama could ride a bike in a straight line, (laughs) in a pack, you know, and my experience in Georgia was that it was just incredibly, uh, incredibly good, just really, really good, um, really good job by the racers, and very high level of skill, and and yeah, uh, some of that might come down to the upgrade coordinators. I don't know. And in in Tennessee was sort of somewhere in between, where it was a pretty small, tight knit group, and and people knew each other, so people didn't tend to do any anything stupid, so far as I could tell. <laughs> but Alabama was always crazy. So anyway, okay. Well, I I think now we better we maybe better take a break. Uh, that's part one of our ask an official. Uh, episode or our ask an official series I should say and we'll be back next week with uh our second part so thank you for joining us uh Emily good and Emily will be back with us again next week so yeah thanks Emily
2: thanks it's been fun
1: yeah and of course uh with with us as
0: always is matteo hey Mario, where can people find you Hey, Greg. People should uh, people should tweet at me on Twitter. My username is at underscore Mattio, M-A-T-T-I-O. And feel free to tell me that I'm wrong, or tell me what you think, or uh, let's have a conversation about what we've been talking about here on the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program. And if you tweet at me, you should also probably tweet at Greg as well. Greg, where can they find you? They
1: can find me at Grolby. That's uh, the at sign and then G-R-O-L-B-Y. Yeah, you can also get in touch with the show as a whole. We have an email address. It's Program at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at underscore WHBP. Um, find us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Uh, we would love that. And we'll catch you next week for, for part two of Ask an Official. Thanks for coming along with us, and we'll, we'll see you next time.